Real Estate Coaching Radio, America's number one trusted resource for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Starring award-winning real estate coaches Tim and Julie Harris. Get ready for unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what is truly working to get you into action and make you money in this new real estate boom. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. And welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio. We are your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Julie, my dear, welcome to today's radio show. Thank you. It's going to be a fun show, and I think this is going to be for not just grizzled veterans, but for all agents. You're just going to have to decide when and how to use what we're talking about today. So that's my cliffhanger. Right. So we're continuing on the theme of basically preparing you guys for the, uh, I would say, adjusting market, adjusting depending how much adjusting depending on your individual markets. No markets are all the same. Every price range is the same. Every segment is the same. Go back, listen to past radio shows at realestatecoachingradio.com to get a really good handle on what we're talking about. But at this point, guys, there should be no question that we're definitely heading into a uh, adjusting market. We can call it a recession. We can call it maybe an, you know something worse. Who knows? doesn't matter what the level of severity is. The skill sets you'll need are going to be the same. Bottom line is, if the seller's market for most of the country, especially in the upper end, is over. <laughs> now, the meat and potato in the middle range market, in the middle range market, if you're from Columbus, Ohio, where Julie and I sold real estate, might be you know, 275 if you're out in the West Coast, your middle-range market might be close to a million. If you're in the middle of Iowa, your middle-range market might be close to 150. So the reality of it is, is those markets have yet to really feel the impact of the slowing markets. But this is the exact same pattern that it followed in all previous housing slowdowns, most notably the one that happened about seven, eight years ago. So guys, we're doing it again. Uh, it is uh, you know, going to be something that's going to be fairly predictable. As far as what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, people's behavior when it happens, um, we've been obviously we get a lot of questions and emails and you know all the rest of it asking people, agents asking specifically what they should be doing, and I always just tell them to listen to the radio because we're kind of laying it all out there, guys. And mostly it starts starting you know with your skill set, and then basically what happens is as your skill set improves, you'll find your mindset is improving as well. Most of the emails, most of the questions that we get from you guys are fear-based. And um, I'm not going to tell you your fears aren't justified because most of you do not have the skill set that's necessary for this new market. So I just want to, you know, I'm not, I don't want you guys to live in fear because fear usually results in no action whatsoever. Fear just results in basically creating more fear for yourself. You know, becoming somebody that actually doesn't have to accomplish anything. And I certainly don't want that for any of you. But recognize that for the most part, you still have the opportunity to develop your skill set. So however severe the housing change is in your marketplace, you know what? You're going to be great. Now, I did get an interesting email. And the email was something to the effect of, hey, explain to me how, Tim, you said – that we're in basically the middle of a 15-year housing boom. At the same time, you're telling us there's going to be a housing recession. Well, why are the see that right? That question is a great question on the surface, but really what it tells you is it exposes a way of thinking that is essentially we can only make money or it's only a boom when prices are going up. You see, what you guys are addicted to um, are the is the seller's market because many of you have only sold in the seller's market, so you don't know that you can make money and you can help lots and lots of people no matter what direction the market's going. And that's the thing. That's the mindset thing. You guys really have to clear the cobwebs out of your head about that. Because if you believe 
that you can only make market uh, any, only make money when the market's headed up. That means that you are not going to do well at all in the coming market. Does that make sense, Julie? Yeah, totally. I mean, you've got to know what's happening to you locally and what's happening before every appointment you have. It, you know, everybody's affected differently, and that's why. For some of you guys, you're going, why would I need price reduction scripts? Well, guess what? You may need them tonight at the table, and maybe you're in a super escalating market. You can still overprice even when things seem to be flying off the shelf. You're going to hit an appraisal problem at some point. So you've got to know maybe the appointment you have tonight is completely different than tomorrow with a first-time buyer where you've got a totally different conversation. So be aware. The answer is never to do nothing, and the answer is never to say, oh, I don't, I don't do that. I, that's not my thing. I don't know anything about probate. I'll have to you know, refer you to somebody. I don't do short sales. You know, there aren't any REOs in my market, whatever. You've got to really know your stuff because there are lots of different things happening all around you depending on who you're talking to and when. Personally, I think that's what makes real estate exciting is none of your appointments are the same. But it's also the same thing that makes it challenging. So the agents that make so the most money I, have the most versatility. So, Well, exactly. So how can it be a real estate boom at the same time if there's a real estate slowdown or even in some markets if prices are going to fall? How can we still be in a boom? And to finish the question uh, that I got from that listener, and it's simple. The demographics are going to force real estate transactions no matter what direction prices are going. That's it. Now, if we had, like in Japan right now, guys, there's a real huge problem in Japan because they don't have the huge generation of, uh, you know, millennials, in essence. And they are essentially now in their demographic trends. Uh, Japan is suffering from uh, where this is a kind of a weird statistic, but there's more older people in diapers than there are children in diapers. Hmm. So they are 100% on the wrong end of a housing boom because of those reasons. There's just not enough people that want to buy the houses. And so when you go to – I haven't been to Japan, but from what I have heard from people who have, when you go to Japan, everything looks like it did back in the 80s. In essence, people aren't reinvesting in real estate. It's sort of like, you know, is what it is compared to the rest of Asia, which is all brand new. So why am I telling you this? Because, yes, there's no question we're going to be or are in a recession. There's no question about that. Now, where do you, where do you go with that? There are still going to be millions and millions and millions and millions of millennials buying houses. There's still going to be millions and millions, not quite as many, but still a ton of their uh, parents, the baby boomers, downsizing out of houses. So between those two groups, just those two groups alone, no matter what the economy does, no matter what housing prices do, there's going to be millions and millions and millions of people wanting to buy or sell real estate. Back when, um, back in the 70s, when Paul Volcker ran the Fed, and interest rates were close to 20%, people still bought and sold real estate, guys. So the markets still go on. The real estate still happens. That's the beauty of selling real estate, because oftentimes when, if you have a you know, have-to-sell seller, you have a transaction, no matter what's going on overall, because at the end of the day, you know, it comes down to three things, price, condition, and location. And if you have a truly motivated seller, even in a horrible market, or at least what most agents would paint as a horrible market for you, you don't have a definition. You're able to successfully sell, ideally, no matter what direction the market's headed. But in a situation like that, yeah, it's tougher for most agents without the skills. They just get out of the business. And that's what happened during the recession. Lots of agents got out. Now what's happened is lots of agents are getting back in. When the recession hits again, they're going to start struggling. They're going to realize that Basically, they don't know why they're not able to put a deal together. They're not going to necessarily have discovered this podcast. 
They're not going to have the skill set a lot of you guys are going to have, and they're going to get out of the business. So that's the nature. That's the cycle of it. So we're coming from a, I would call it a relationships-based type business, or that's what a housing boom, you know, housing, uh, you know, seller's market typically is. It's who do you know because the house sells itself, and for the most part, people have equity. So it's just a transaction. But what we're entering into is a skills-based market, whereas if you don't have the skills to solve the problem for the sellers and for the buyers, you're not going to do a transaction. There's no question it's more work. I'm not going to lie to you guys and tell you it's not. There's no question that, um, you know, in a market like what we're headed into, you have to be better. You have to be more focused. But the beauty of it is there's less competition because most of your fellow agents won't have the mindset and the skill set that you do, so they won't be able to compete with you. Um, guys, it's an opportunity. It's a huge opportunity. Just make sure you're aligning yourself with the information that you need so you can make the best decisions and how you can actually move the ball down the field. So today's show, we're going to pick up where we left off, talking specifically about price reductions. Price reductions are something that are, it's a, <laughs> they can be a challenge for a lot of psychological reasons for you and for the seller, but once you have your scripts or at least your conversation patterns down, then you'll find actually these, these price reductions and pricing the houses correctly out of the gates actually has better flow. So, Julie, do you have a shout-out, or would you like to get That's to right. your That's uh, right. I just have a very today? quick shout-out, somebody I wanted to recognize, a great, fantastic breakthrough coaching client uh, who is being coached by Coach Rochelle. And Joe McCullough, who lives in Fort Worth, Texas, just became a full-time agent not too long ago, back in December, and already has, get this, $200,000 worth of pending commission. Nice start into the land of full-time real estate, don't you think? I mean, that's pretty awesome. So congratulations to Joe McCullough. If you have any referrals to Fort Worth, Texas, he's your guy. I mean, you know, we have a lot of you guys listening who are listening right now at your jobs. We get that. We understand that. So Joe is a great example of somebody who has crossed over and become that full-time agent and is already being rewarded for his hard work. So nice job, Joe. Just a quick shout-out to him. Okay, so back to our discussion about price reductions. So I wrote down just a quick reminder. Price it right from the beginning. That will save you from having to have price reduction scripts. However, we have them for you ready to rumble. So just you know, note to self, price it right from the beginning. That's what we're talking about here. Now, there's a short script that says we can price it to sit or price it to sell. Well, what do we mean by that? Secret number one, the point of this script as well as all pricing script is, scripts rather, is not to be right, it's to do what's right by advising your sellers how to get the most for their home in the least amount of time without creating an overpriced situation. So yes, you want to get as much retail as you possibly can in terms of price for that home, but you want to know what the limit is. So I wrote down, it's not so that you, you can be right. You know, some of the coaches have calls with you guys where it's like you had some kind of victory dance because you walked away from a listing because they were so overpriced. Well, maybe it's because you're allowing them to be overpriced due to lack of, lack of scripting. We always say if they have to sell, you have to list it. Somebody's going to make a commission on that. So the point is not to be right, it's to do what's right. Secret number two. Your first offer is almost always your best offer, and sometimes it's your only offer, depending on the market, the house, the price, the situation. So pricing it right in the first place makes that offer come in faster and stronger. That's a big lesson that we probably could do a whole show on. Your first offer is almost always your best offer. So secret number three, and then we'll get to the script here in a second, whenever you find yourself in contention with your sellers, not that that ever happens, right? But whenever you find yourself in contention, argument, not seeing eye to eye, it's time for you to back down. Your ego is what is preventing the sale. 
Let the seller be right, at least for that moment, and then revisit the price later if necessary. That's a hard thing Julie, let's to, hover, to back down. Let's, let's that's talk what I was going to say. That's a real, yeah. Let's hover there just for a second. Mm -hmm. um, you guys are going to be shocked how quickly you use what we're, this little snippet of Julie's outline for today. It's critical that you understand that. And I'll, I'll expand slightly. Anytime you feel any sort of com competitive relationship with any of your clients, you are making a mistake. That is your ego. So when you're talking with the seller and you're trying to and you hear yourself say something like my price or your price or anything like that, that's your ego. You're going to make a mistake. You're not going to do a good job for that seller. Release the need to be right about price. Release the need to dominate the seller. Release the need to be in control with quotes around it. That's just your ego. Your job is just basically to facilitate a transaction. Your job is to essentially you know, tell the seller what you're going to do and do what you're going to do. A lot of times what happens is that people will cap out. They'll do a certain number of deals and never break beyond it, and it's because of this very reason. It's not just when it comes to pricing a property. It comes, it, basically, it manifests itself in all different forms in your business and in your personal life. So when you feel the need to be right, when you feel the need to argue your point, even if it's justified, if you're the one that's being paid to perform a service, sell a house, you cannot allow your ego to start being competitive or combative, combative. You have to remember, these sellers, these real estate transactions that you guys are overseeing, they don't do a lot of anything like that in their entire lives. Think a normal person. How often are they being asked to make a big financial decision, like buying or selling or you know, essentially accepting a price? Even if they trust you, even if they're family and they love you, they are seriously fearful. And when they're fearful, sellers, buyers for that matter, and when they're fearful, what that is, and essentially it's their ego, basically it's spider flight, right? So they're feeling fear, and so they're going to fight. That's their ego coming out. This is kind of obtuse for some of you, but the takeaway I want you to have is when you feel yourself being competitive, when you feel yourself starting to argue with the sellers or the buyers or other agents for that matter, you've got to back off. Be a little bit aware of the ramifications of your behavior. Your highest and truest purpose is to be of service to other people. So give yourself a break. Give them a break. Now, how do you end up basically being uh, doing an ethical job listing a house when you know you're taking it overpriced? Because oftentimes in a changing market like this, where the sellers aren't willing to deal with reality, they're going to be listening to the neighbor down the street or you know, they're going to be using the one Hail Mary <laughs> pass uh, comp to justify their price. I get it. Been there, done that. You still can't screw the deal up. Take the, take the listing overpriced, but do exactly what Julie said. Tell them, listen, Mr. Seller, I appreciate the fact you think, let's just say it's a, you know, a true 500, and let's just say they think it's worth 540 or 550. Mr. Seller, listen, I appreciate the fact um, that you don't agree, or rather, let me reframe that. Mr. Seller, Mr. I appreciate the fact that you see that the house is worth 550, despite the fact that the market might be telling us it's worth a little bit less. You know, I can definitely see your argument. You do have a terrific fill-in-the-blank backyard or whatever it is that they think makes their house exceptional. You know, your lot is definitely a flat where the comps are, you know, they don't have great back backyards. And, and for the right buyer, there's no question that's going to be tremendously value valuable. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and price it, Mr. Seller, at the higher number. But let's agree that after two weeks or ten showings, you know, whichever comes first, if we don't have an offer on the property, 
that we reposition the house and the market to correctly reflect the market's expectations. Okay, are we in agreement? Good. Now, in some cases, as you guys get busier, some of our agents that take like listings a day, two, three listings a day, what we have them do is we have them, then the seller signs a price reduction form for the new price in two weeks or 10 showings. That way you don't have to go back there and get it out of them. Moral of the story here, guys, is, is that you've let the seller win. You've basically backed off. You've uh, put your ego back in the box so it's not destroying your opportunity to be of service to that family. And guess what? You can actually get paid. So that's the point. So you guys got to be monitoring how you feel. If you feel yourself feeling competitive in any way, at any time, when you're dealing with your customers, you've got to see that as a weakness. You should never feel competitive with your, your clients. That, I use the word competitive because it's a, it's a feeling that all of us can easily recognize. There's more profound feelings you know, that come out when your ego is starting to manifest itself and basically cloud your decision-making ability. But really, at the end of the day, look for that competitive feeling. And then when you feel it, when you're dealing with buyers or sellers who are making a mistake or they start reacting to you in a competitive way, you must be – you need to ask yourself that what are, what are you putting off that's making them react that way to you? Your job is to be of service to them, not to compete with them, not to, make, not to be right, nothing like that, just to perform a real estate transaction. Guys, this mindset actually will give you a lot less stress in your life, and you'll find that things happen a lot easier, and you'll get a lot more referrals, because people will know that you're always having their backs, opposed to that sort of competitive feeling where they feel like they're just looking at, or you're just looking out for yourself. Julie, does this work? Yeah, absolutely. So let's create our strategy from this discussion. Here's the pricing strategy. Determine the likely sale price based on your real comparable sales. Once that's determined, in other words, what you really believe this home should sell for. Once you've determined that, then your job is to find a sale at that price that happened right away, selling really close to uh, or over the list price. Then you find a second comparable that sold at that same price or maybe even less but started higher, had longer days on the market, and maybe even two or three agents before it finally sold. So again, establish price. Then you're going to find house A, which sold right away because they priced it right. Remember our theme, priced it right in the first place. Then you're going to find house B that also sold where you thought it should, but it took them a knockdown, drag-out, egregious process to get there finally. And in those cases, they almost always end up selling for less than they would have had they priced correctly in the first place. So I wrote a quick example. Let's say your subject property should sell according to the most recent and best comparable sales for, let's say, 400000 House A from your sold comps was listed at $399. It sold in three days for $410. It shows that it also had a backup offer, and it closed within 60 days of its original price. In other words, the best scenario possible for that homeowner, right? So not only did it sell quickly, but it actually went for a little bit more than you thought it would, because you priced it just a notch under what you thought. Remember, you thought it would be 400, we priced it at 399, sold right away. That's house A from your comps. House B, these are comps you're gonna show your seller as your examples. House B from your sold comps was listed at 435. They went 35 over what you thought, maybe they talked you into it, so they could have wiggle room, somebody can negotiate with me, right? Okay, so they're at 435, but it sold in say 193 days for only 380. It shows two different listing agents. In other words, it expired twice before you even got there in the six months that it was on the market. Not only did that homeowner end up taking 20000 less than House A, but in the meantime, they had to make six months of house payments, property tax payments, 
homeowners association dues, and homeowners insurance, thus netting them even less than the 20000 under where it should have sold had they priced it right in the first place. Additionally, House B had to live through more showings, repaint the interior, separate three price reductions, and five open houses before it finally sold. So which homeowner is the happier seller? Which ended up with more money in their pocket in less time? Does this make sense, Tim? It does. And you're bringing up, actually, if you don't mind me interjecting, a real short script, no, Julie. So this, this is not part of the script that Julie – or actually, she's sharing with you guys a conversation pattern, in essence. But here's a real mm -hmm. short script because you're going to be running into sellers. I don't think – you know, I, just, I say these things sometimes and I laugh at myself because I cannot – remember a single seller ever who didn't want to overprice their property. So yeah. let's just proceed with the, as soon with the as understanding. As they decided to sell, the price went up. That's it. Yeah, exactly. All right, so so I was about to say, when you run into a seller that wants to overprice, how about this? When you run into any <laughs> seller, okay, yeah. so here's They're a little overpriced. conversation. Here's a little conversation. You guys know I like to use practical you know, storytelling, uh, and you should too, because it really, really does work at cutting through their ego. So that, that's actually an interesting, real quick aside. When you're listening to a story or you're telling a story, have you guys ever noticed that there's a calmness that takes place? Because what's happening is it's engaging a different part of your brain, which cuts through ego. All right, so Mr. Seller, uh, you know what? Here's the thing. When you put your house for sale, when it's a brand new, shiny new listing, everybody's excited about it. The neighbors are talking about it. You know, the buyers are talking about it. Everybody is really excited about it. And that newness, that, that really, you know, depending on your market, guys, that newness actually of a new listing, that shine of the new listing, it can last 30 days. It can last sometimes only seven days. Sometimes it'll last a little bit longer than that. But everyone's excited about that. And Mr. Seller, you're the best buyers, the buyers who have passed on everything else for sale, the ones that are waiting around every single day checking their, you know, the MLS constantly for a new listing. Okay, the first buyers that come through are almost always your best buyers. They're the ones that are, you know, have been looking. They're the ones that have been in the market. They're the ones that are pre-approved. They're the ones that don't have any houses to sell. Those are the buyers we want to grab. But those buyers are also market experts. They know the market probably better than anyone in that particular segment because they have been looking. They can tell you exactly the pluses and the minuses of everything that's sold, everything that's still for sale. So those first buyers that come through your door, those are always, always, always your best buyers. Now, if we don't have the house positioned correctly in the marketplace and they pass on it, if they say, well, it's because they know the market, if the condition isn't right, the location isn't what they expect, or the pricing isn't correct, then they're going to basically, what they're going to do is they're going to say, well, you know what, maybe this isn't for me. You know, we'll just take that. We'll just wait. We'll see if the seller lowers the price. So what happens is that as the house, Mr. Seller, stays on the market for say goes for say a week, two weeks, three weeks, the newness starts to wear off. And then what happens is those same buyers they start making excuses as to why the house hasn't sold. It's sort of the neighbors. They're the, maybe they're saying, well, you know what? They probably have an offer. They're just going through inspections, and the agent hasn't changed the status of the MLS or the sign yet. Okay. Well, then guess what happens? Now we're 60 days into this listing. And now it's beginning to smell a little bit. It's beginning to develop its own stigma. The house is then now passing into the realm of new to old. And people are making excuses why it didn't sell. You know what? I thought that house was a little overpriced because of this, this, that, or the other. And then it sits. So if you miss those initial buyers, what happens, Mr. Seller, is those buyers, if they pass because they, all three of those things aren't in alignment with their expectations, and then the house basically you know, goes from being a new shiny new listing into an old listing of, say, 60 days old, and then we have to fight 
for all the buyers. We have to fight to get those buyers to look at the house again. We have to fight to overcome the uh, markets, uh, essentially the view of the house as, as being problematic because they know in this marketplace that most things sell in 45 days. Now, your marketplace listeners might be 120. Ours was when we sold real estate in, in Columbus, it was 141 days. So if anything took longer than that, people started questioning as to why the heck it was still for sale. And Mr. Seller, you think of things the exact same way. If you drive past a new listing on the way out of the neighborhood to work, it's, wow, that's, you know, it's excitement. You're not even in the market, and it's exciting. I want to know what it sells for. I want to see how long it takes to sell. But if you drive past that same house in 60 days, you're automatically making up stories in your mind why it hasn't sold. You're telling yourself sure. the house must smell. You know, it must be on an Indian burial ground. There's some problem with the house. And if the house stays in the market for six months, oh, my God, they might as well just burn it down and start over. Isn't that how our brains work, Mr. Seller? Well, I don't want people thinking about your house in the same way. Julie, this is a good time for us to remind everyone. Guys, if you have not done this yet, I have no idea what you're waiting for. Complete the form that's on your mobile device, your phone, or your iPad. Scroll to the bottom. Complete that simple form right there. And when you do, we're going to call you back. We're going to answer questions you might have about Real Estate Coaching Essentials. Remember, guys, Real Estate Coaching Essentials is a real live coaching program. You get four semi-private coaching calls per month, and not to mention all the uh, content that comes with Essentials, but you also get a real live private coaching call per month. And if you use the student approval program, which 99% of you should, it's only $100 a month. This is a no-brainer, guys. So if you've not yet done so, fill out that form, and you'll see what you get. Just by filling out the form, we give you those six books. If you're on your desktop, just go to joinharris.com, joinharris.com. Julie? Okay, so another secret just to start closing the show with us and solidify this in everybody's brains, and your script was fantastic, very factual, and based on real-world experience, that is what happens. A house starts to yep. get a reputation. We want to avoid that. It doesn't do any good things for price. I joke that it's, it's like fruit, right? I mean, you go to the grocery store. It doesn't matter how cheap those peaches are. If they're basically two days from being gone, you're not even going to buy them in the first place because you figure something's wrong with them, right? So here's a secret. Showing the facts speaks louder than asking the seller to list at your price versus their price. That's how you get into contention with them. Remove your ego and use real-world scenarios to paint a picture. Back to your point, Tim, about telling stories. It removes the seller's ego. They start listening. It's not about them. It's not about you. Using house A and house B makes it about the situation versus making it about you versus them, the seller's price, my price. You know, I'm not going to take it unless they list at my price. That's where your ego prevents you from creating a sale. Okay, so homework. Pretend you're selling your own home today. Use this strategy to find comparable sold homes. See where you would price your house to sell it quickly based on a house A and house B scenario. Here's a secret. In escalating markets, this still works. The numbers are just over list. Remember that you can overprice a home in hot markets. That sets you up for appraisal issues. So to avoid having to be back on the market at the more reasonable price as determined by the appraiser, again, we come back to just price it where it should be in the first place. We've given you story strategies, conversation strategies, and specific scripts on this call. This is the type of thing that we do in coaching. The main thing is you've got to do something with it in your own practice, in your lives, in your day-to-day -day appointments. So I'll leave that back to you, Tim. I've got to get on a coaching call. Ah, how ironic. <laughs> Thank you, Julie. Great outline. Guys, we're gonna, we're gonna, uh, Julie, tomorrow is about pricing and scripts, uh, price reductions, all that good stuff too, right? Yes, correct. 
Okay, okay, good. So we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday, or today, and by the way, yesterday, and we're going to stay on this theme. Again, we're trying to front-run you guys with information to better prepare you for the market that's coming. If there's ever anything we can do for you, and you guys know it because a lot of you email us, email us directly, tim at timandjulieharris.com or julie at timandjulieharris.com. Anytime we can do anything for you, we're here for you. This is our, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say this is our passion because it's not. And I don't believe you need to be passionate to be successful. Matter of fact, I'll suggest to you guys that the whole quest for being passionate uh, is maybe, you know, this is good, making me think we should do a radio show on basically why you don't need to be passionate to be successful. Matter of fact, I'm writing that down. We will do that radio show. But really, guys, if you're looking for the motivation, if you're looking for a way to overcome your fear, if you're looking for really some inner thing to make it so that you want to embrace the market that's coming. Just stay focused on being of service to other people. The magic of that prevailing thought, I want to help other people, the magic of that is it cuts through your ego. Because if you're in a situation with a seller who has to sell and they're just not seeing through their own fear-based ego stuff about pricing the house correctly, but you know how to help them see through it, you know how to help them accomplish that goal, that's you being of service to that person. You're going to get paid for that. So if you've ever wondered why it is you don't have the financial security, why you don't have the success, why you don't have the things in life that you'd always hoped you'd have, it's because you simply have not learned how to help enough people at a high enough level for you to earn those things. That's it. If you guys want to figure out the over, over, uh, overriding key to success, it's how to help, how do I learn to help, the most people possible at the high enough, high enough level. If you're helping other people accomplish their goals, be it selling real estate or selling a house or something else, if you're helping enough people do that, not just one or five or ten, but hundreds of people to accomplish those, their particular goals, everything else is going to align behind that because you're in service to others. That's the formula. And if you're struggling, if you're frustrated, if you're stuck in the paradigm of just working with buyers and buying buyer leads, if that just seems to be your life, and you're, you're thinking, oh my gosh, this real estate thing is just like a prison sentence, well, go back and ask yourself, where is my prominent focus? Is it on being of service to other people? And if all of you will say yes to that question, whether it is true or not, you will all say yes to it. So if that is true, then why are you resisting learning how to help those people at a high enough level? Why is it that you only know how to help a certain group of you know, buyers or sellers in a certain situation? Why is it that you're resisting the idea that in a changing market, let alone the market to come, that you're going to need a multitude of different skill sets? Why is that? It's interesting, isn't it? You see how those things are disconnected? That lack of connection is the reason you guys struggle. Connect the thought of being of service with the idea that you need to master the skills necessary and that everything will align itself. There's so few people on this earth, on this earth, in this industry especially, they get that. They all think they can be successful off the force of their personality, or they think they can be successful because they know a bunch of people, or, or because they've been successful in the past. They don't realize ultimately for them to have ever-increasing levels of success, and, and not just financial guys, but other aspects of success too. That's going to come from them learning how to help more and more people. Learning, constant learning, ever-increasing amounts of understanding is what's necessary so that, again, you find yourself being able to help people in all kinds of different situations, all kinds of different problems you can solve. When you do that, that's where your powerful mindset comes from. That's where your powerful, you know, that's where everything is, is, is living inside of you. 
is starts to basically flourish and flower. That's exciting. Guys, if there's ever anything we can do for you, email us directly. Uh, in the meantime, if you've not yet done so, complete that form. Someone from our office will call you back, usually within 20 minutes or so. Make sure you answer the phone. Uh, leave your email address as well. And when you do, just by completing that form, we're going to give you those six free books. In the meantime, we'll talk with you on the radio tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.